We're with Venus Kalesi of Baha'i Australia and Father Chris Bedding, Anglican priest in Darlington and Parkerville in Perth. I'd like to learn more about the Baha'i religion, so it's time for Please Explain. Please Explain. Now, Venus, you've given us some insight. Tell me more about the Baha'i religion. When and how did it begin? Sure. Well, the Baha'i faith came from Iran. Uh, The prophet founder was Baha'u'llah. He was born in 1817 in Tehran. And uh, he came from quite a noble family. He gave up the opportunity to take on his father's role in the king's court and instead really wanted to be of service to humanity. And, And he was given the title Father of the Poor. Throughout his life, Baha'u'llah was banished and exiled, and he ended up passing away in Akka, which is now part of Israel. Baha'u'llah taught that religion is part of a successive chain of revelation, you could say. And so we hold very sacred all the religions, Jesus, Muhammad, Buddha, and hold them with the same sanctity and divinity as that of Baha'u'llah. But you don't hold all those religions to be true at the same time because that would be self-contradictory, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, what we follow are Baha'u'llah's teachings and laws. And actually, we have a Baha'i house of worship in Sydney, and every Sunday there's a service. And the readings include the scriptures of the major world religions. Every week, those scriptures are read from the holy texts of you know various religions. Extraordinary. So looking at the oneness of God, the oneness of religion, and the oneness of all people. This was, what, 1850? when? Yeah, in 1853, Baha'u'llah declared that he was a manifestation of God and the religion went from there. A risky thing in the Ottoman Empire, isn't it, to declare yourself a messenger of God? What did the Ottoman Empire make of him? They saw him as a real threat. So wherever he went, he was able to galvanise a lot of followers um, and he had a lot of influence. And so that's why he was successively banished from one place to the other. So so when he actually declared himself as a messenger of God, that was in Baghdad, in Iraq. Then he was sent to Constantinople, Istanbul, and then in Adrianople. And then finally they sent him to Akka. Back then, Akka was known as the end of the world. They sent the worst things thieves and robbers. It was it was a prison city, yeah. And there were many spots in between. I got Smyrna, Alexandria. It was an extraordinary journey. Were they just moving him around? Yeah, I think he was in Baghdad for about 10 years. He just was um, sent from one place to the other until they thought, okay, we'll send him to Akka and hopefully this will be the end of it. But um, that wasn't the case and the faith has spread throughout the world since. And how many Baha'i are in Australia? There's about 20,000 in Australia, spread, you know, throughout big cities and uh, small communities and rural towns as well. How many around the world? Well, I'd say probably over 6 million. But the interesting thing about this faith is that individuals who like the teachings and want to be a part of the community building activities are taking part in what it is that we're doing, um, you know, effectively creating more cohesive communities. And so just because they don't have the title of Baha'i doesn't mean that they're not involved in our community building efforts. And that's really encouraging. So, you know, I say six million, but it could very well be more than that. And how many in Iran? We understand the Baha'i community in Iran to be the largest non-Muslim minority in that country. Now, Since the revolution, the figures are probably a bit outdated. Um, I would say 300,000, but, you know, to identify yourself as a Baha'i is quite a huge 
threat to your personal security. And a lot of people are seeking truth, religious truth, and they're becoming increasingly attracted to the teachings of the Baha'i faith. And isn't that because uh, many Baha'i principles sound quite modern? This is a set of Baha'i principles which were adopted 100 years ago. They sound like they could have been written yesterday. Unity in diversity, sexual equality, unity of God, religion, humanity, world peace with no prejudice, no extreme wealth or poverty, harmony of religion and science with universal compulsory education. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we read them you know, from a list now in 2017 in Australia, that sounds pretty reasonable. But to think that that was revealed in the Middle East in the mid-1800s is quite revolutionary, actually. What's the attitude to drinking alcohol and premarital sex? Uh, well, Baha'is do not drink alcohol and do not participate in premarital sex. So that's pretty much the view. Got it. Just take a note here. I had, uh, living with me, I had an Iranian man who fled Iran. Yeah. And uh, he just recently got a protection visa, which is, is great news. And, and he had been reading about Baha'i and uh, then he was reported and so he had to flee for his own safety. And mm. a court in Iran declared him kafir or something like that, like an apostate. Yeah. Do you have a sense of what that would mean for someone in Iran? There was um, a, an individual by the name of Mazdiar Bahari who was in Iran. He was a journalist, not a Baha'i. And he says, you know, in Iran there's a red line. And then there's the Baha'is. It's the worst of the worst okay. to be recognised as a Baha'i. It just really mm. seems to irritate the government of that country. And so that's why I think human rights in Iran, and when we look at the case of the Baha'is, is so interesting and so important because it sets like a barometer mm. or it's like a litmus test for the human rights situation in that country broadly. And unless and until the rights of the Baha'is are realised, then it has a lot to say about human rights in that country broadly. Mm. When the Prophet Baha'u'llah died in 1892, he passed on the leadership to his son. Mm -hmm. And when the son died, he passed it on to his grandson, who lived until 1957. What happened then? So there was a group of individuals referred to as Hands of the Cause that had been appointed by the guardian of the Baha'i Faith, Shoghi Effendi. And it's quite interesting. It's the first time in religious history where a body transferred their power over to what is now known as the Universal House of Justice. So they arrange for the election. From then on, the Universal House of Justice has been the governing body uh, looking over the affairs of the community. And there are elections every year and all Baha'is, over 21 vote? Yeah, we actually just had our election for our national governing body uh, last weekend. Anyone over 21 who is a Baha'i in good standing can be um, up for election. We don't do any electioneering. It's The elections are done by secret ballot. Now, every five years, the national spiritual assemblies of the countries throughout the world gather together in Haifa and elect the Universal House of Justice. Are women allowed to be on the Supreme Body, the Universal House of Justice? The membership of the Universal House of Justice is confined to men. It, it may seem surprising given that the equality of men and women is one of the principles of the Baha'i faith. But we've been told that the wisdom behind that will be understood in the future. And it's said in the Baha'i writings that the equality of men and women is actually an established fact. So just because the membership of the Universal House of Justice is limited to men doesn't mean that men are more superior to women. How does the faith deal with schisms and the breakaways that tend to occur in religions from time to time? 
the way the faith deals with the schisms is that we have this beautiful thing called a covenant. And so in recognizing Baha'u'llah, his teachings, the faith continues to pledge its allegiance to the Universal House of Justice and members of the faith do so as well. So um, that's the way that uh, I guess as individual Baha'is we deal with it because of this love for the Universal House of Justice, members of the Baha'i community are very much obedient or observe and recognise their station. But for those who aren't, they can be what's called covenant breakers. What happens to them? They carry on with whatever they want to do. But, um, but they're what, excommunicated or something like that? Just, I'm just wondering, is there yeah. like a dispute process or...? No, I, I don't. I don't believe there is. Um, you know, Baha'is that recognise the station of the Universal House of Justice continue to do so, and if other people don't, then that's their choice, I guess. And are they still allowed in the Baha'i faith? In terms of the gatherings and so on. Yeah. Look, there are many things that are open to members of the public, and if they want to participate, they're welcome to do so. So, you know, when it comes to public gatherings and things like that, anyone is welcome, really. But not actual Baha'i gatherings? There are certain things that are limited to Baha'is in good standing. So, you know, if, if you've broken the covenant, then you obviously don't believe in that administration. So you probably wouldn't want to be a part of it anyway. RN, it's God forbid. We're with Venus Kalesi for Baha'i Australia. And we're with Father Chris Bedding, Anglican priest in Darlington and Parkerville in Perth.